The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 247 for the week of uh, May 8th, 2023. Yeah, uh, Rob, this is awesome. Uh, Hopefully, as people are listening, we don't sound like robots. (laughs) Uh, we had a little technical difficulty there, but I think we've worked through it. We were like on the board or like, do we just cancel the podcast forever or do right. we figure this out, this technical issue? You know, right. 10 minutes later, we solved it. And right. You know, we so just, we're back to recording. Uh, you know, troubleshooting 101, Rob rebooted his laptop and now we're good to go. There we go. That was literally the solution to the problem. All right. Well, let's jump into some housekeeping. Uh, Alex, we have a Slack channel. If you don't know that yet and you're listening, you're missing out. Uh, The Slack channel is a great place to meet local folks. We have 2,500 or so people who are in the community. You can uh, talk talk to our groups that are going to schedule lunches in Boulder and the DTC, uh, find out about events coming up, look at jobs, talk about GRC, all kinds of great stuff. Yeah. Uh, If you want to join the Slack channel, you can go to the website, colorado-security.com. There's a form there you can fill out. Uh, We will add you to our Slack workspace. While you're there, you can also sign up for our mailing list. Uh, You will get the show notes delivered to your inbox from every podcast that we make. I love it. Uh, We would also love it if you would rate us and subscribe on your favorite pod catcher and maybe tell a friend. We'd love to grow the community. You can get them involved with Slack, get them involved with uh, listening to the podcast, maybe come to some local meetups. We would love that support. Uh, if you want to support us even more than that, we do have a Patreon campaign going on to help cover the costs of the things that we do at Colorado Equals Security. Uh, you can sign up for that, and depending on the level that you sign up for, you'll get some cool stuff. And speaking of Patreon, we have a new patron. Oh, yeah. Who's our new patron, Alex? Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Nugier, uh, who is our uh, newest patron. Yeah. Um, and he... Uh, Oh, he's at Richie May. He's at Richie May now. Yeah. yeah. Michael, thank you so much for sponsoring. He sponsored at the $10 level, so he gets a shout out and some cool Colorado Equal Security swag. Yeah. Um, I have I have known him for a while. He was one of the uh, the implementation engineers for me when I rolled out Silence a few years ago. How I don't think that? I knew that. Yeah. Well, it's, this, it's because Silence doesn't really exist anymore. Right. Well, BlackBerry security. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, good stuff. Well, that is that. let's take get into the news now here. Uh Alex, there's some some breaking news for those of us who have been in Colorado a while. Maybe if you've driven the 470, the C470 route up to the mountains, you might you might see that there's a, a racetrack on the side of the road, kind of just north of, of Red Rocks, right? Uh, Bandamere. What's going on with Bandamere? Yeah, uh, the the Bandamere's who own Bandamere Speedway have uh, sold the land that the racetrack is on, and they're going to be closing at the end of this season. Um, it, it's sort of been rumored for a number of years that this was going to happen as uh, you know, as the development around Bandamere continues to creep closer to it, I think that there was the uh, the realization that at some point they weren't going to be able to operate as a racetrack there anymore. You know, it's a drag strip, so it's really loud uh, when they're going on and there's more and more houses popping up around it. So I think that they realized someday they were going to have to move and, uh, and they've decided to do that. So they've sold their land and closing the racetrack and they're going to be looking for a new place to go. Uh, if you are interested in... Um in getting out there before they close, the last event will be the 2023 Dodge Power Brokers NHRA Mile High Nationals. That's going to be July 14th through 16th. If you want to see some drag racing in the Denver metro area, this could be your last chance for a while. It is a lot of fun. Um, I know there's probably one happening here pretty soon. Um, we always used to go with the kids because they did a, the, the race to read event at schools, you know, and you'd win free tickets there. Mm-hmm. And they have like the, uh, the jet dragsters with a jet engine in them and stuff like that. Anyway. It's fun to watch. Good stuff. Looking forward to seeing what they put there. Probably condos. Uh, probably, yeah, probably condos. Yeah. Um, right. Next, uh, Colorado uh, passed a, a pretty cool new law, becoming the first state to have a right to repair law for farmers. This is a, a fairly simple idea. You know, hey, I buy a piece of equipment from someone, whether it's a tractor or an iPhone or a printer. Um, I want to have the ability to fix it when it breaks instead of having to pay for the manufacturer to come be the only approved fixer of this thing. Uh, and, and this has been a big contention between the the tractor equipment or the, the farm equipment and the farmers themselves. And Colorado is supporting the farmers here. Yeah. Um, as th- this equipment gets more and more advanced, um, the, the idea from these equipment manufacturers was, um, you know, it, it's too complicated for you to fix, fix it yourself 
we don't want you to break it essentially. So we're going to have to fix it for you. If you try and fix it yourself, then you're voiding the warranty and essentially, um, you know, you're not going to be able to use this tractor anymore. So with this law, it now allows uh, farmers to be able to do simple things to be able to fix their equipment and, and make it better. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. You know, there's all kinds of other examples of companies that don't want you monkeying with their stuff that you, that you bought. Um, I'll be fun. It'll be fun to see if the consumers get some more rights here for sure. All right. Uh, next, uh, I think we've talked about this startup in the past, but um, some more news from the uh, Colorado startup that's uh, doing refueling for satellites in space. Yeah. So it's called orbit fab. Um, they, they just secured a $30 million round um, to expand their operations. This is their B round of funding. Um, this is going to be used by orbit fab to, uh, to build a network. Well, they're going to be building a network of refueling depots in low earth orbit. Basically the idea, if, if you're launching a satellite um, and you know, there it's, it's really hard to get, you know, all the weight you need into space, right? Like every, every ounce makes a big difference. So what they're thinking is you can bring less fuel on your, on your satellite and refuel with them. And as a result, be able to, to accomplish missions that would otherwise be impossible. Yeah. I, I think also, no matter how much fuel you put on your satellite, at some point it's going to run out. Right. And that doesn't mean that the useful life of that satellite is done. So uh, if you can refuel it, then you, that satellite can continue to operate for longer. So uh, it, it seems like a, a great idea to me because you don't want this to be, you don't want there to be a non-reusable space junk up there, right? Like yeah. let's launch less satellites, but you know, keep them up there for longer and, and make them work for longer. Yeah. I, I feel like this, this story just typifies what the Colorado is really becoming a, a space centric industry, or it's, it's one of the big industries here. We have three stories this week that are kind of space space ish. Uh, number two is is this story that Maxar, who you know used to be called Digital Globe, um, or was Digital Globe was merged into, I think, um, they were recently purchased by a private equity firm for six point four billion dollars. Yeah, that seems like a big number. Um, Maxar went public a few years back. Um, this seems to be the the trend in the way that companies operate. They go they go public. Maybe they do well. Maybe they don't do well. If they don't do quite as well. Uh, stock wise, you know, some PE firm purchases them, um, it rehabilitates them. And then at some point in the future, they'll go public again. But I think the, the good thing is that, um, you know, we, we still have a, uh, a company that's here in Colorado doing the, uh, the satellite mapping that Maxar does. Yeah. There's still going to be us controlled and the Colorado headquartered, uh, not a lot of big changes. Uh, this, this trend you're talking about, I think the PEs, they recognize when a company's inherent worth is, is higher than the stock market thinks it is. They yep. figure they can buy it now for, you know, 80 cents on the dollar, go sell it for 120 cents on the dollar in, you know, two or three years. And that's how they make, you know, make their 50, 50% back on their money. Yep. All right. Uh, next, um, moving away from space for just a moment, uh, Colorado is launching a program to give away some grants to help jumpstart the quantum tech industry in Colorado. Yeah, so the the number here for the grants is relatively low. They're talking about 1.5 million that's going to that the Economic Development Commission has approved to to be used to to drive quantum here. But I think directionally it's important. You know, we've we've talked a lot about um, you know, cryptocurrency, you know, having a good presence here in town, um, quantum computing, having a lot of research done here. There's just a lot of desire uh, for Colorado to be better at these emerging techs. And, and obviously this is, this is you know, part of moving in that direction. Yeah. And, um, the, the grant, you said the whole, whole amount is not big and the grants themselves are not that big. Uh, they're going to be $50,000 grants. Um, but it also includes some money for, uh, for someone to oversee the grant program, as well as some money for a, uh, quantum computing, quantum technology conference. that's going to happen here in conjunction with CU. Yeah. Between at the education, the, you know, the, the venture capital um, support and kind of the buzz that's happening around quantum, I think Colorado really has a chance to be you know, one of the few hubs in the state, in the, in the States that's focused on this. All right. Getting back to uh, space. I think our last space story, there's some, uh, some veterans from the space force down in in the Springs, which is amazing that there can be veterans from a force <laughs> that I remember us talking about being created. Right. right. Like, but people who have been in space force uh, for a couple of years ha have left and have gone on to launch their own startup. That's focused on helping the U S military prepare for space warfare. I feel like this must have never been said in the, in the history of humanity. <laughs> what I just said, uh, U S space force veterans 
have launched a startup to help the U.S. military prepare for space warfare. Uh, the name of the startup is True Anomaly. So this is not an anomalous anomaly. Anomaly. No, it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's not it's a false true. anomaly. Yeah, exactly. And I can't say the word either. Anomaly. An anomaly. Um, uh, but yes, so the the goal uh, that they have here is to help beef up the capabilities that we have in space. Um, this also seems funny that you know part of the article talks about that they believe that the U.S. is falling behind in our, our capability to fight in space. We've been focused on a counterinsurgency right. over the last 20 years, basically, basically right. since, um, you know, since nine 11, you know, the U S has been much more focused on terrorism than they have been on something like space as a new frontier. Uh, well, this company is here to, to help drive that forward. They have a couple of stats here. Uh, they, they raised 30 million and they've already hired 57 employees and they just, they just came out of stealth on April 6th. So yeah. a month ago. Um, but they, they built a warehouse in Centennial, Colorado. Um, so really where we're recording from right now. Um, and you, they're using that money to, to hire those folks to start manufacturing. They have two different things they're building. One is they're building what they call it the Jackal, right? Yeah. The Jackal autonomous orbital vehicle, which is a vehicle that's designed to study space objects at close range. Um, take pictures of those things and just kind of figure out what they are uh, and, and basically start to figure out with the, the help of humans and AI, like what's happening in space. Right. And and also they are creating a software platform that can uh, take spacecraft pilots with the spaceport, with the space force through war gaming and training. But simulations, yeah. teaching them what would I do in this situation? I mean, obviously that much better to learn through simulations than when it happens for real. So it seems like exactly. cool stuff. It, two really separate, um, two separate products, right? You're actually manufacturing a hard thing. And then my, my hunch would be that they think of this software side as being a way to quickly start getting some revenue and, and some relationships right. while they build this much slower um, hardware that's going to, I imagine, will take a decade to, well, a few years at least to be out in space. Right, for sure. All right, uh, moving on to our next story. There is a press release from Red Canary announcing the Red Canary Readiness uh, Exercise product. So this is basically yeah. uh, a way for for teams to train and be better prepared for real incidents. It didn't occur to me as we were putting the notes together, but this is actually really closely related to what we just talked about. It's, it's about helping um, security analysts simulate different types of attacks and yep. determine if they're ready for it. So, you, you know, you think of your typical tabletop exercise where you're going to say, all right, pretend an attacker just did this thing. Well, this readiness gives really much more specific scenarios based on attacks that are seen in the wild and helps folks figure out, like, do they have the technical control to detect it? What would they do? And it'll help people, like, know what their coverage is across their environment. So if it was really analogous, Rob, then Red Canary would also be making a um, an autonomous vehicle for cyberspace i can't so, comment on that we we do have another press release about a, a different oh. red canary release here coming up oh. in the next story though um on this story still um i think that this is a super important thing readiness and preparation obviously is is a key and um if you're not good at anything else you need to be good at incident response so i think this is a really important announcement and product it's been a, it's been a neat thing to see develop you know as as a company Ray Canary's always been focused on detecting threats and responding to them. This really moves kind of left of boom, as we call it, earlier in the kill chain. Instead of saying we have to wait for someone to, to attack to detect it, this is us creating that simulation so you can see how, if you're ready for those attacks. So it's a cool change. Uh, but speaking about detecting things, Rob. Yeah. Uh, the second announcement we have is Red Canary announced a new product called Mac Monitor. So it's actually not a product. A, it's, sorry, a, a new software it's a new a piece new, of software it's yeah. a free thing yeah and that and that's cool one of the things that really drew me to red canary and and i know you we, we've both appreciated what what they do for years is they just give stuff away so this is a piece of software that you can install on your mac it's called mac monitor and, and think of it like sys internals is to windows mac monitor is to to mac yeah get that visibility inside your your system a much level a deeper level of uh, visibility than you can get from something like activity monitor um, and like I said, it's free. It does not take the place of EDR because it's not monitored. It's, it, it's just not to, doesn't have telemetry like that, but it's a good foundation that you could build something like that on. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's, um, another good thing. There really wasn't anything in the market like this. Um, you know, the, the sys internals products have been 
great on the Windows side for for people for a long time, and it, it's cool to see that there's something happening on the Mac side yeah. too. Pretty cool. I love I love that's one of my favorite parts about the company, just giving away the stuff. All right, next story we have. We haven't talked about Coal Fire in a while, so we figured we'd grab this story. It's it's kind of a, a typical hey local company wins a bunch of awards, right? But a good good chance to talk about Coal Fire. You know who is one of the biggest security companies in Colorado and has been yeah, for man, 20 years, right? Like uh, they, they, they've been doing a good job and, and have really become the default choice for things like FedRAMP. So they won some awards. Yeah. And the, the awards that they won are things that I know that they do, but are probably not the first thing in my mind when I think of coal fire. Uh, one is the editor's choice for penetration testing. The second is hot company for vulnerability management and the third is most innovative for vulnerability assessment, remediation, and management. Yeah, uh, it, cool stuff that, that they're being recognized for the, what the work they're doing. And it's not just, hey, we're doing ISO and SOC audits and, and getting you ready for FedRAMP, right? Some, some other useful security uh, practices that they have there. Awesome. Uh, next, we have a blog from Zavilo uh, talking about phishing detection in depth. Um, this is actually a fairly long and in-depth article. Yeah, I, was, um, I was surprised. I thought I was going to open up like yeah, five paragraphs about right. fishing, but no, no, no. That's no, no, no. They, they go pretty deep here. Um, there's at least, I don't know, a dozen categories of fishing that they say here. Um, some of them that I hadn't really heard the name of before, but like makes sense. Um, you know, how it is that you, you detect it, um, yeah, I mean, we've all heard of business email compromise, right? But, right. And we've all heard of smishing, but have you heard of pop-up phishing or farming or search engine phishing, um, social media phishing, tab napping, tab yeah. nabbing? Yeah. Um, really, really, I mean, I there was a lot of interesting stuff in here. If you're looking for a, a, a pretty in-depth description of uh, phishing, this is it. Yeah, I mean, they go all the way into use cases for threat detection around uh, phishing and things like that. It, it's a, a really good in-depth blog. I would recommend a read on this. Yeah. Good stuff to take a look at as you're, as you're building your own controls around phishing, which is probably the number one way bad guys get in, right? Probably. Uh, last story we have in the news is a, a partnership. Logarithm has announced that they are partnering with Zscaler and they say that they're partnering to address cloud access security challenges faced by the modern SOC. Yeah. Um, I think some of this is a, uh, a telemetry integration, you know, to get better signals in a logarithm. And then some of it is also um, to be able to take actions in uh, Zscaler's, what is it? Uh, private internet access, PIA, private internet access uh, component. So uh, from logarithm, if you see an issue, you can um, take an action in, in PIA to limit someone's access. Yeah. All I wonder is, is was this partnership created because Sarah Avery, our longtime friend who was the, you know, a sales rep for Logarithm for a decade and has been at Zscaler for the last few years. Did she say you two, two teams need to work together and I, make it happen? I I will give all credit to Sarah, whether it's do or not. Do or not, Sarah, we, we appreciate you. All right, let's jump over to events. Uh, start off with a reminder that we have a calendar of events on the website at colorado-security.com. You can see all the cool stuff coming up in security over the next few months. But over the next month, Alex, what do we have? First, uh, Asus Denver. Oh, you know what? This this one. Sorry, you can't go to this one. This was a couple days ago. Mm. Um, we were a little bit late. Uh, the first one that you can go to, ISSA Denver is doing their May chapter meeting, how cyber insurance drives C-suite decisions around IT strategy, infrastructure, and planning on the 10th of May. Yeah, that's there's actually two of those oh. meetings. That's one that's downtown in the tech center and one, sorry, one in the tech center and one downtown. Tech, tech center's in the afternoon. And downtowns in the evening. Also on the 10th, OWASP Denver is doing their Back to Basics, How to Mature Your Security Program. On the 12th, we have the Let's Talk Software Security Group doing the, a talk about software security. What are we missing? You know, I actually, I attended the last Let's Talk Software Security Meetup. It was good. I enjoyed it. I would recommend it. Uh, on the 16th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their May chapter meeting. On the 18th, we have a couple different meetings. We have the ISACA Denver May, May virtual meeting, and we have CSA Colorado doing their May meeting, which is focused on the future of cloud security, embracing CNAP to protect cloud native applications. Ooh, exciting. On the 20th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing one of their mini seminars. It's a great way to get a few hours of CPEs on a Saturday morning if you're looking for it. On the 24th, ISC, ISC Pikes Peak uh, has their May meeting. On the 25th, ISSA Denver is doing 
an event cybersecurity is not a game? Question mark. Is it? Ooh, now <laughs> I'm intrigued. The event is at Dave and Buster's. So uh, I think it's probably related to that. Uh, and then finally, we have the RMISE conference coming in on June 7th through 9th, three full days of events. Alex, anything you want to say about the conference coming this year? Yeah, I mean, normally this is the time you would throw it to me. And because I'm organizing, I would tell you something cool. But this year, I'm not really helping. So I don't know that I have anything cool well, to you, say. You can still say something cool. Um, I know uh, the opening keynote on the 7th, um, uh, David Spark is doing a oh. live recording of his podcast, the CISO series podcast. Well, that's fantastic news. So uh, we should go see that. I, I know John Strand is also keynoting. I'm not sure when. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, there, there's lots of good stuff. That's good. All right. Uh, jump over into jobs now. Um, we, we like to put a sampling of jobs into the podcast every week to, to point out cool stuff that's going on in the community. And let's start off with BI Inc. They are hiring a senior security engineer. Ring Central is looking for a security trust data analyst. There are also, I don't know what that means, but uh, there were multiple jobs open at Ring Central. Dish is hiring a security threat response manager, and Dish also has multiple jobs open. Yes, Dish has multiple, multiple jobs open. Uh, Jeffco Public Schools is looking for an executive director of enterprise architecture, information security, and identity. That's essentially the CISO for Jefferson County Public Schools. Yeah, be a good position. Frontier Airlines is hiring an engineer on application and cloud security. Banner Health is looking for a cybersecurity IAM architect, remote. HSS is hiring, hiring a biomedical device network and security field technician. Get out yeah. in the field. I saw that one. And I thought, wow, that sounds really cool. Uh, I would imagine it's for a sort of specific skill set. Yeah. But cool nonetheless. Uh, Avanon is looking for a global security advisory lead, someone who can help them build out that practice that they have around uh, uh, cybersecurity advisory. It, it's a it's a big job. I, yeah. I, I actually read the whole thing because it looked really interesting. Uh, if you're looking, you know, you probably want to be at the director or CISO level to look at this role um, or, you know, maybe a VCSO type of a person. Really interesting role, though, and, and probably worth taking a look at. Block, which I've never heard of, Block is hiring either. a vulnerability research analyst. They also were hiring multiple jobs. Uh, Workday is, which this one is actually being hired in Colorado. I didn't realize there was a Colorado workforce for Workday. Pr is looking for a principal cybersecurity engineer for analytics and automation. All right. Well, Alex, that gets us through uh, the newscast I believe it does. of the podcast, but good news. We have an interview. We do. Rob, who is it? We have Larissa Thomas, who's going to be speaking with us. Larissa is the CISO for Knox Health. Previously, she was the CISO for the city of Lakewood. Uh, we've known her for quite a few years. Yeah. I did not know nearly as much about her before this as I do now. Super interesting background. Did you know she was born in Russia? I did not. Did you know that she was an extra for the movie Rocky? And I just, I just made that up right now. <laughs> but if you listen, maybe you'll find some other interesting facts. Ooh, I am intrigued, Rob. I will definitely listen. All right. Well, we'll look forward to talking to you guys again next month in June. Thanks, Rob. This is Artie Wolkowski, CISO at Dish Network. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security, the podcast for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. All right. Uh, well, for the interview portion of our podcast this week, we are fortunate enough to have Larissa Thomas with us. Larissa, you are you're currently the the CISO for Knox Healthcare. Did I get that right? Yeah, I'm a CISO for Knox Health, oh. um, which is a company that is specializing on sleep, sleep medicine. And there's like a little catchphrase that we use: is all we do is sleep. Uh, so we have <laughs> a company. A work. I like it. Yeah, it's actually kind of cool. We uh, we had a little catchphrase uh, when I first started uh, a little bit over a year ago that was um, wake up to the brighter world, hmm. which is awesome because that's what we do. And this is um, we help people sleep better so they can actually have more productive and healthy life. But I really love the all you do is sleep. It's, well, I think I think that this is, it will be a mistake to leave this topic without asking for a few tips for our listeners of how can they sleep better. <laughs> Actually, this is kind of funny when everybody's uh, uh, all of the employees start. Our um, awesome CEO is uh, giving everybody a book uh, called "Why We Sleep," hmm. and it goes into the science behind. Uh, the sleep and different how we sleep differently when we are babies, when we are teenagers, 
when we're like adults and when we're older adults. Uh, but the um, the a few tips for um, that I've heard so far from our really um, awesome medical professionals is, of course, uh, caffeine is a, a huge impact on your sleep. Uh, it messes with the uh, circadian rhythm. Um, also alcohol, which I think all of the security professionals are uh, kind of, we all, we all kind of have to do this. Um, and another big tip is uh, consistency. So um, I know sometimes we like to sleep in on the weekends and uh, maybe go to bed late on the weekends as well. And that messes us up. So consistency is like if you following the sunrise or sunset or whatever your circadian rhythm is um, going pretty much uh, the same time. So if you're going to bed at 10 o'clock during the, the week and waking up at, at six, try to do this in the week, uh, in the weekend as well. Yeah, I, I think the bummer is you just gave me all of the tips of the things that I either can't or won't do, right? <laughs> so, like, I'm, I'm happy not to drink coffee, but I'm not that happy to not get to drink alcohol. And like, it's just so hard to be consistent um, with, my, with my go to bedtime, at least. Like I could, do, I could do okay getting up at the same time every day, but you know, some nights I, got, I have just things that keep me up. And I, I, def I definitely noticed that like, on those nights, especially if I had a drink, like I do not get the same quality of sleep and I, and I suffer for it the next day. Yeah. And I think all of us are going to have those, like we're going to go out and have a drink every once in a while. Uh, we're going to have a cup of coffee with uh, uh, with our supper every once in a while and it will mess us up. Yeah. But I think moderation is um, kind of the key here. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. The most, the more consistent we can be, the better, right? And I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, that that but is I, very true. It's gonna be hard. All right, all right. Let's let's go back to the beginning, Larissa. You have a little bit of an accent. Where are you from natively? So I am originally from Russia, um, born and raised. Um, moved here, gosh, twenty eight years ago. So I worked really hard on my accent, and there is, uh, it's still there. It's not as bad as some of like my family members, um, but it's still it's still there. I remember when I first moved to U.S., um, I'm like, I'm going to damn it. I'm going to learn English. I'm going to like speak like a native. And uh, I did really try. Um, I limited my contacts, not really contacts, but like my social interactions with my fellow countrymen. Um, so I can like speak with somebody who is either from U.S. or somebody, some other immigrants from other countries. So we can at least be forced to speak English, yeah. but that accent uh, can't do anything about it. Well, I mean, I don't think you need to, right? Like I, I actually, you know, I've, I've met you many times in the past and I, I did not know you were from Russia. Um, I, I, you know, frankly, until we started talking here, I didn't, I didn't really notice it much at all, but uh, yeah, there's a little bit of something that. Um, so, so you were there in Russia, and we were talked about this before we recorded that um, you were there, like as the Soviet Union uh, went from you know one of the two world powers to to dis mm -hmm. dissolving as an entity altogether. And I would just love to hear you know your thoughts. You know, growing up through the '80s, you and I are roughly the same age. Growing up through the '80s with you know Cold War stuff going on, what was it like on the other side? And then kind of coming through that. Let's just start off by talking about your 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 Cold War experience. What, what was that like to be on the, the Soviet side? Was it a, as big a deal there as it was here? Um, yes, but it's also uh, there was a lot of uh, propaganda. So a lot of people just didn't even know anything about it. And they one thing I would say, ignorance is bliss. Um, and growing up as a kid, I was shielded from a lot of things. Um, like I didn't really, um, how should I put it? Like my parents did a really awesome job of uh, giving me a childhood where I don't have to worry about uh, different things. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a little uh, Russian joke. Uh, um, there's a, so the scene is in kindergarten, like little kids, like four-year-olds. Um, and the teacher in the kindergarten says, kids, where is the, um, where are the most beautiful toys? 
they're like in USSR. So everybody says in USSR. Um, and the teacher asks kids, where are the happiest kids in the world? And the kids all in unison in USSR. And all of a sudden she turns and there's a little boy in the corner and he's crying. And she asks, um, why are you crying? And he says, I wish I would live in USSR. So it's, yeah, there was a lot of ignorance. There was a, a, a lot of propaganda. Um, we, like growing up, I didn't know what was happening until like I got a little bit older and mm -hmm. started to listen to BBC and some other things. And my uh, relatives started moving to um, uh, other countries. So my aunt and uncle, they moved to uni uh, United States, gosh, probably, I don't know, 40 years ago, maybe more. And uh, it was actually kind of comical with uh, um, how much surveillance was there. Mm. So uh, I had my, my dad was followed by the KGB when he was uh, meeting with his cousin because they thought that they would be like some big secrets between Russia and, and, and United States. Mm -hmm. um, all of the correspondence, all of the letters that we received from US, they were uh, opened and everything was uh, read. Mm -hmm. um, so, and in the beginning, it was kind of funny. Um, they were very sneaky about it. So you'll get a letter and it would be um, open, but then they would close it very uh, carefully. Yeah. So you could tell that somebody opened it, but it still looked pretty intact. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the time passed by, uh, they would just like rip it open. Sometimes don't even put a uh, like a, a tape on, uh, on it. And that will be in our mailbox um, opened um, open letter. So it was, it was kind of funny. So, so what drove, I, you know, I, I obviously I have a very U.S. centric view of Cold War and Cold War Soviet Union. Um, so I, I try, try not to bring my own biases to it. I'd love to hear for, from your perspective, like why did your family choose to leave? Uh, you know, what were the, were the economic opportunities, like social opportunities? Mm -hmm. like what, what, what was the driver for, for that? Yeah, so it's a better life. And uh, also, there was a lot of prosecution. So I'm I'm Jewish. Um, so uh, growing up in Russia, being a Jew is not a, a happy place to be. Really? Okay. So there are a lot of opportunities that are denied to uh, um, who are anybody who's who's Jewish. I think maybe now it's a little bit different, but I, when I was growing up, that was not a a, a happy happy place. Mm -hmm. And it also depends on the community. There's a lot of um, uh, kind of prosecution, not from the necessarily from the government perspective, but also from people. Mm -hmm. uh, so some. Like, I was very uh, fortunate that I had really good friends who, like, they didn't really care. I'm Russian, I'm, like, Jewish, whatever my religion is. But uh, I know quite a few uh, people who, like, their neighbors or their co-workers or their, uh, like, classmates, they would be, like, they would be brutal. And yeah. um, so there was a lot of that going on. And uh, this was really my, my parents' decision. They just wanted a better life for, for their kids. Mm. And uh, um, we've been kind of joking about it, that we, uh, we would go to United States. And uh, my dad had a chance to come to us and for, as a tourist and visit his, uh, his cousin, he came home and he's like, pack your bags. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go. Um, so it was, uh, um, he saw what kind of life we could have had. Because, mm. um, for example, I went to school for uh, computer science, and my um, kind of prospect, I didn't go to like Moscow or some other prestigious university, I just went to my hometown. And uh, um, 
my uh, prospects as a as a as a job uh, with no connections and being Jewish was like maybe a secretary somewhere. Hmm. So it was not a you had to be either connected or you had to like you had to know somebody. Um, otherwise, you can't get ahead on your own merits. Wow. And when my dad came to U.S. and he saw how um, like. They say U.S. is the land of opportunity, and it's for a lot of people who grew up uh, in uh, U.S. and they haven't really seen much of the other world. It's just a phrase, but for me, this is like this is the truth because mm. I moved over here and I'm like I could be a doctor, I could be a I don't know brain surgeon, I could be um, I don't know working for NASA, I could be a lawyer, uh, anything I, I, I want. Just, yeah. I have to go to school, study for it, and then figure it out uh, along the way. Yeah. Nobody's gonna stop me. So it's, so it's a, a slightly different perspective. Did the Soviet Union allow people to leave if the country was willing to receive them? Like, just could anyone just go? It's a it's a process. Yeah. Um, I was at the time um, I was at the university um, when we decided to to leave, and we we actually asked for um, uh, for asylum. So mm -hmm. there was a special program between Russia and U.S. where you could uh, ask for asylum, and uh, uh, you can get granted. Um, permission and, and get a visa to come over here, yeah. uh, get a green card. So, but I had to ask my university to actually let me go. Hmm. And uh, it, it, yeah, <laughs> you you probably will be like cringing just, uh, just hearing this, but uh, yeah, there's a, you have to ask um, Russian officials that you have a permission to go and live somewhere else. I mean, I, 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 it doesn't surprise me too much, but it, you know, it, it, I'm sure it, you know, the barriers there in place, right? And and then yep. you were there. I, I know we're not going to spend too much more time on this, stuff, but I'm super interested, and hopefully our listeners are all interested as well. Um, I, I know that you, you were there, like as the Soviet Union started to dissolve into its separate member yep. states, you know, Russia and Ukraine and Belarus and so forth. Any any insights to share from that experience? Um, it was, there was a lot of talk about it and there was a lot of pluses and minuses. Like we were talking about the UK doing the Brexit thing. And there's like a, a lot of benefits of smaller countries to be part of something bigger, uh, from the economical perspective. So we had a lot of discussions of like Ukraine or Belarus would be, uh, separating and becoming their own countries. Um, are they going to have the same are people actually going to have the same economical uh, um, benefits? But uh, those countries, they were just so happy to be on their own because um, they could speak their own language. It's, I mean, it, it's a, um, there's a lot of, a lot of benefits to them besides just being part of something bigger that will give you like a, a, a bigger advantage from the economy perspective. All right. Well, like I said, I don't want to spend all our time on this, <laughs> although I, I'd love to like go take you out to drinks and like get more, but, but for now, we'll let's do it. Out. Apparently, but we will not get drinks too close to bedtime. Because I don't want to ruin our sleep, especially. All right, we'll just do brunch and do like mimosas and stuff. <laughs> we get hammered over breakfast. Perfect. <laughs> All right, let's. But so you moved to the US. Where did you come over into the US? So I actually moved to Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So my family's still there. Um, there was a, a. So back when I was telling you that my aunt and uncle moved uh, uh, here like 40 years ago. Yeah. Back then, there was a really good immigration pro uh, program for people in Minnesota. So they kind of made it home and little by little, everybody kind of like the rest of the family started coming over and there's like a big, huge community um, out there. That's really neat. So my, my folks are still there. That's great. And and I've, I'm just looking at your LinkedIn. Um, and I, honestly, I, 
you have 25 years of like legit professional security experience uh, yep. on here, which you know, not a lot of, not a lot of folks in the industry go back to the, uh, to the nineties. Um, how did you get your first security job? So I got lucky. <laughs> I got really lucky. I'm not going to lie. It's, I'm not going to say, oh yeah, there was uh, some formula. Sometimes it's like being at the right time in the right place. So um, kind of going back, my dad really wanted me to be a developer. Um, so he, back in the day in Russia, he was making modems. He was the hardware guy and he had brilliant developers working with him. And he just thought this is like the best thing in the world. And he wants his kids to be doing this. So he's like, you're going to go to do like a computer science degree and you're going to be a developer. So I'm like obedient daughter and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I went to school, um, halfway through, I moved to us and I finished my, um, uh, the rest of, uh, college in, in Minnesota at the university of Minnesota. And, uh, I took my first Linux, uh, not Linux. It was a Unix class. And I thought, oh my gosh, I know so much. I'm going to just kill it. There was a job at the uh, biochemistry lab at the U um, being a sysadmin. I'm like, okay, I know everything. I took one class. <laughs> so I went and uh, my first day in the job, I killed one of the um, uh, servers, which was kind of blessing in disguise because I... Uh, well, first of all, I learned that I shouldn't be cocky because, you know, and uh, but it's also been really good learning experience because as I was kind of bringing everything back to life, I've learned quite a bit. Yeah, I love just tinkering with things and seeing how things work. So being a developer was a dream of my dad, but not my dream. Yeah. So I, I kind of went that route and I took um, some jobs doing like a system administration, network administration. Um, I was um, working at 3M as a web admin or something like this. And um, um, I was doing like a single sign on and back in the day. And I got audited as part of that audit. Um, they actually recruited me to come over to the dark side, to the audit side, and head start their pen testing vulnerability assessment uh, program. Because that back in the day, that was, well, it was not that sexy as it is today, not like a ethical hacker, um, but it was, uh, uh, it was new and exciting. And uh, I got to play with hacker tools and they paid me money for it, which was pretty cool for like uh, somebody who is a few years out of college. Yeah. And that was uh, um, like where I've learned a lot about uh, more like a governance compliance. And I went away from like a siloed, just doing a sysadmin type of job to learning more about IT, learning more about the business, kind of getting this broader perspective. And uh, so from doing the audits, I even did like, uh, back in when I was working for 3M, I it was fascinating going to some of the plants and doing the audits there, going to clean room and putting on like like a body suit. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was it was great. And uh, kind of after this, um, I came full circle to security with all of the knowledge that um, I gotten from being being in the audit world. And I, I see just looking at your at your timeline, you know, I know you had quite a few audit opportunities, including a couple of companies that folks will have uh, will know WAMU, West, Western Mutual or Washington Mutual. Um, Washington, it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Well, it, it went out during the financial crisis, right? 2009. Yep. Uh, so I worked for Lehman Brothers Bank after after Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. And, and I think WAMU got swallowed up in that same uh, yep, snafu, I think that's right? exactly right. Yeah, uh, and then and then you were at Target. Um, this, I think, looking at the timing, you were there before their their before, before 2013, wasn't it? 
Yep, yeah, that was a uh, that was before the target breach. Yeah, I think I mean honestly, like for those of us who've been in the industry for a decade or two, like that was a a milestone. Like with the first breach that yep boarded boards of directors got really interested after the after the target yep. breach. Yeah, I remember I was working for Lifetime Fitness um, when the the target breach happened. Yeah. And I had really great discussions with the, the CEO and the board was asking really good question. And that was like when I started loving the phrase, never let a good breach go to waste. Because uh, I was struggling back then get my security program uh, in place. They brought me in for uh, PCI compliance. They needed to get compliant and they brought me in as a consultant to kind of look at it. And I'm like, uh, you guys don't have security program. Yeah. So they said, why don't you come in and uh, get it going for us? So I took a challenge. And uh, uh, of course, that was just the beginning and the company was still growing and the the budget and the, um, the opportunities were not there yet. And then target breach happened. And all of a sudden, I had really good conversation with the CEO. We talked about risk, and we wanted to keep uh, uh, Lifetime Fitness out, out of the front line, uh, uh, the front pages of the uh, newspaper. And uh, all of a sudden, I was able to get moving on uh, a lot of things that I needed for a security program. Yeah, it, it, it did a lot. It looks like you were there at Lifetime for six and a half years, huh? Yeah, close to that. Yeah. Uh, um, so Lifetime, you know, I know of Lifetime as the gym. We have one less than a mile from my house. I think that's like, it's like a complex, right? It's a, mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know, like tennis courts in like three buildings, including like just massive yeah. building, like like a country club, I guess, maybe. Um, when, when you joined, I, I imagine it was much smaller. Has do you, Did you get to see it and have explosive growth during that time? Yeah. Um, so it was not as explosive. Um, so I think when I joined, they were already, I think they had maybe like, uh, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 clubs already. Okay. And in the United States, um, they were, um, changing that, uh, so they were building clubs in, in, in Canada. So that was new. Um, but they were kind of really making it not just um a fitness club but it's more of a like a destination so yeah. they had like a chiropractors and the spa and like a haircut place and you can drop your kids off and go work out uh and they can stay in the uh, in the daycare so it was i mean i'm fascinated by uh lifetime fitness it's, it's such a such a great company and such a consistency, which is really hard to uh, get. All of their clubs are actually not, they're not franchises. They're all uh, uh, owned by corporate. Oh, really? Yeah. And back in the day, um, the uh, CEO was really active in making sure that those clubs are really uh, acting the same way, looking the same way, feeling the same way. for anybody so if you are a member and you are in a club i don't know in in colorado springs i don't know if we have a uh, there's a club in in denver uh and then you go into atlanta and you go to the club it should be the same experience well i i when i was looking for a a new gym like that was almost a decade ago it was quite a while ago um i went I, i went to the gym the closest to my house that's like you know special 10 bucks a month deal. And then I went to lifetime and like, like, oh my gosh, it's like 200 bucks a month. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, like, and like the set of things, like, I'm not even comparing to like, like, yes, they both have stacks of weights and treadmills. Um, but in, in no other way are these similar experiences. Um, yeah, if you're curious, Rob's cheapskateness won out over Rob's interest in, in all of the <laughs> bells and whistles. Yeah. Their membership prices are like extremely high, but the experience that you uh, you get there is pretty incredible. I had a withdrawal. So when I left um, and uh, I didn't have my free membership anymore and I started looking around which clubs to join and I went and checked out some other more um, uh, 
kind of like a cost conscious uh, uh, places. And I'm like, I can't do this. They don't have towels. They don't have like marble flow floors. They don't. Yeah. So it's a, it's a different, different experience. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's uh, keep moving. And we're, we're going to run out of time if we don't get see. I told you, but like so much to talk about. Um, <laughs> So you and I met at your next stop, right? So you 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 took the the position as the CISO for the city of Lakewood um, yep. back in 2017. I'd love to know, like, at what made you make the decision to do that? Oh, did you see that? Was it because you were moving, or was it because you just wanted that opportunity? Talk to me about why you why you went over there. Um, a little bit of both. So I uh, I moved over here um, to Colorado from 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 Minnesota because um, life is too short. So uh, my husband and I had been talking about moving to Colorado for a while and that never came to fruition until like a, a one time um, it was, gosh, six, uh, yeah, six and a half years ago, I, uh, I had a health scare and that was like, everything's fine now. And, and it was fine back then. But it kind of makes you think and puts things in the perspective for you that life is too short. And if you're going to be delaying things and saying, oh, I'm going to do it some other day and some other time, it that day may or may not come. Yeah. So we just decided, you know what? Life is too short. We wanted to move. Let's move. Hmm. So I told my company that I'm going to move. I'm going to look for a job. And I was actually able to move and still work for a lifetime while I found a different opportunity. And uh, um, I was not even thinking um, public sector, but then when I came across the um, uh, the job for CISO at the city of Lakewood, I was uh, really intrigued because uh, it was another opportunity for me to come in and actually build the information security program from ground up. There was nothing there. Um, so I liked the challenge and I, love working for different industries. If you looking at my LinkedIn profile, you've probably seen that I've been pretty much everywhere. I work for manufacturing, I work for insurance, retail, health and wellness, public sector. Um, so I love different experiences. So, uh, and knowing that you're going to go there, you do something really good for the community is a huge motivator. So I was very lucky to get that job and um, have that um, that experience for me. Yeah. So you were there for over four years. I think yep. that's, that's, a, that's pretty good. And you got to, like you said, you got to build the program from scratch. And, and I know you got to get know a lot of the other folks in the area through that role as well. Um, yeah. What was what was the impetus for for making a change after after you've been there for you know, quite a while? Well, I had a goal that I'm not going to stay there forever, so I gave myself like four years. Okay. That was my that was my limit that I'm going to mm. check it out, I'm going to try it out, and then I'm going to um, probably go back to the um, um, private sector. So that was that was the impetus impetus for me to uh, go back. And I love the health and wellness industry. Um, so when I found the Knox Health job, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and is, is Knox Health, is that all remote or do you do you go into the office? Or yeah, I'm a remote. We have a, a office in Louisville. So I can go in the office every once in a while, um, but I'm mostly remote. Um, our headquarters is in Atlanta, so I do go there every once in a while. And another exciting part is um, our other headquarter is in Iceland, in Reykjavik, wow. which is really amazing and beautiful. I was there just uh, um, uh, at the end of uh, March, and it is such a beautiful country. So why are we not do, recording this podcast in Reykjavik? What, what are we, what are we doing? Good question. A very uh, good question. I, I just don't know why you, you didn't suggest this to me because I would have said yes. <laughs> Maybe next time. Next time. All right, we'll get, we'll come back for part two. Uh, so what's the, what's the challenge been like there? I know you and I chatted a little bit earlier. I'd love to hear you know, Knox, you know, obviously you guys are 
providing services in the healthcare industry. What's it been like to come in and, and help them with their program? It is extremely interesting. Uh, we have like a three businesses within Knox. Um, so we have a medical device side of business. So, uh, and that's actually what's in Iceland. We make those uh, sleep testing devices that are, uh, that people can use at home. Mm -hmm. So instead of going to a sleep lab somewhere and sleep in foreign bed and maybe not getting a, a good night's sleep or even have a, a good test, uh, you can get a, one of our devices, um, hook yourself up before you go to bed and uh, sleep in your own bed. And actually they are like super comfortable. I was originally thinking, I actually went through the, the program myself to kind of see how, what it's going to look like and how it's going to feel like for, uh, uh, for a patient. And uh, when I saw the device and all of the setup and how it's going to be, you have to like put like electrical uh, um, um, sensors on your head, which by the way, my husband got really excited because he was helping me place those, those sensors. Mm -hmm. And using a lot of uh, glue and uh, uh, not glue, but uh, some adhesive and uh, um, tape. Um, he he loved it. Um, it's actually kind of comfortable sleeping in in all of this stuff. Didn't 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 really bother me. So so we have that side of the business, and then we have um, um, a, a big kind of like the. Um, employer business where we partner with uh, self-insured um, companies. Um, and we started in a, like a trucking uh, industry hmm. where the safety is a big thing. So we have uh, truck drivers instead of falling asleep behind the wheel and getting accidents, um, they can actually get in our program. And if we go through the sleep test with them and we uh, identify that they have like a sleep apnea or something like this, uh, we actually have a, a healthcare professionals who will work with them to make sure that they are on therapy and they get in good night's sleep. So mm -hmm. we don't have any accidents on the roads. Um, and we also have a third business, which is like a tr more traditional sleep clinic where you would come in um, and uh, get tested in a clinic and, and do some of the, the diagnostic um, uh, that way. And that's mostly just in Atlanta area. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. Um, it's and it's so what, fascinating. What's, what's your role been com coming in? What, what are you trying to help them get better at? And, and what, how can you enable them to succeed? So um, cybersecurity is actually, it's kind of uh, interesting and uh, exciting that cybersecurity is, uh, uh, you probably heard it, many companies say cybersecurity is, an, uh, make it cybersecurity as business enabler. And in many companies, it's just the words. In uh, Knox, I feel like it's actually the, the case. Uh, we are growing. We're a pretty small company, and uh, uh, we're hoping to uh, acquire larger clients, uh, be as a um, kind of like a um, a sleep uh, preferred sleep um, provider for larger uh, insurance companies like Cygnus of the world, um, and uh, for us to be there and achieve it, we need to make sure that we have security and compliance in place, not just HIPAA because we're in a healthcare space, yeah. but uh, I'm right now going through and uh, uh, trying to schedule our high trust certification, which is like, it's a beast. Yeah. So anybody and everybody I talk to about this, they're like, oh my gosh, I, yeah. Do you even sleep? I'm like, yes, I am asleep and I'm in a sleep business. You have to. That's all we do is sleep. <laughs> all we do is sleep. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I love it. And, and I, I do want to be respectful of time and make sure we get to a big, another really important um, topic we wanted to chat about. You've, you've been doing some volunteer work um, in, in the community here. So I'd love you to, to start off. I, I think folks on the, on the show have heard of Lyft in the past and you know, but I'd love to get your background, how you got involved and maybe talk, tell us what it is from your perspective. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, women and security, that's a, that's kind of like the problem that everybody's been talking about for a quite a few years uh, now. And we are actually getting better. 
So um, LIFT, I know that this organization been, or Women in Security been part of ISSA for quite some time. Um, however, you have to be an ISSA member and there's a membership cost uh, to be part of it. What LIFT did uh, a few years back, they um, kind of split up and it is actually partnering with the CSA. And that allows uh, Lyft to have a free membership. So we can actually reach a lot more women in the community in the different uh, stages of uh, their career growth. So we uh, open to students. If uh, we have anybody who is going and getting their computer science or uh, cyber education, uh, we're trying to get more women in community who are like either mid-level or senior level. And the goal is really to support uh, uh, women here in Colorado who are in, in cybersecurity community. And it's, um, I kind of been in this um, situation pretty much my entire career where I would go and I'll, uh, I'll be either the only woman in the in the room or one of the few and i really hope that we can we can change that mm. so we had um so this organization been a while uh, in 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 existence for for a few years now but we this year we are re-kicking this off and we are refocusing so one of the things that we are changing is as you know there are a lot of cybersecurity um, events, webinars, where you can learn um, how to do identity, how to do incident response, uh, and other things. So we were kind of doing the soul searching, and we figured that this is uh, what we are missing is we're actually missing the community part. Because there are a lot, as I said, there are a lot of other events that you can uh learn about everything that's happening in cybersecurity. What we want to do is create a community for women in cyber where they would be um, coming together, supporting each other, empowering each other, and just uh, being there for, for each other. So um, there are a couple of things that we're doing differently this year. So all of our events are going to be um, very different. For example, um, our event in um, April 20th is um, uh, about the imposter syndrome. And the sponsors for the event um, are women-owned businesses in the area. So we have a, a, a Stitch boutique in, in Denver who is going to be, who's coming in and helping us with the styling. Uh, we have uh, Alchemy, uh, a face bar um, that coming in and doing like a mini facial facials and talking about how to do the uh, skincare so you can actually be comfortable in your own skin. Uh, we have, uh, and the event is at the OXB, which is the uh, sweat proof jewelry. So it's like an active wear um, company. So it's, it, it's really um, kind of, interesting we're also going to do an event in uh in june i think on the 28th of june uh that we're going to do hiking mm -hmm. we're going to go hike and uh actually there's going to be uh, one other thing i want to mention that we are also starting the um mentorship program for women and this is actually mm -hmm. i want to use this platform to call out to um um Anybody in a cybersecurity space, uh, women who either want to be mentors who have a lot of experience and uh, women maybe who would like to get some more experience. Uh, we are starting this program uh, and the registration is going to be open uh, April 20th through May 20th. So um, I'll, I'll just throw in the, the website, csacolorado.org slash lift um if you go over there and you can learn about um what events we have but we will also have um uh, a mentorship 
um, application form that you can fill out and we can actually pair you guys up uh, with uh, really amazing uh, mentors. And this is a great way to get um, uh, to support our community because we have a lot of really experienced uh, cybersecurity leaders who probably would be able to just give back and uh, make sure that we are growing the next generation who will be able to keep the Colorado secure. Yeah. So, so are, are you looking just for mentees or for mentees and mentors at this point? Mentees and mentors. Awesome. Awesome. So we, yeah, so we are open to, to both. This is the first time, first yeah. year we're going to be doing this. So the program is going to be, so the registration will be April 20th through May 20th. And then we will kick this off uh, in June. And the, the actual mentorship program will run from June until December. Sure. Um, and our June event, the hiking event, we actually, it might be a really great opportunity for mentors and mentees that are going to be paired up to kind of get together and go to the hike event where they can be uh, not just speaking on Zoom, but they can actually meet each other face to face and develop this deeper, uh, deeper relationship. Great. And, and so you're looking for female mentors, female mentees. Correct. Uh, anyone who's who's interested in getting involved, take a take a look at csacolorado.org slash lift. Um, yep. But I, even if you are not necessarily looking to mentor or being a mentee, yeah. check this website any, uh, uh, anyway, because we do have some amazing events. Yeah. Um, the hike, uh, we're planning a golf event for um, for August. We don't have the firm dates yet, but uh, we're actually going to teach people. If somebody doesn't know how to play golf, we're going to have some uh, some pros who will be there teaching us. And uh, uh, we're also planning an event in December. Uh, sorry, in November, um, maybe around Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving. And it's going to be more about the gratitude. So we'll do yoga and possibly uh, follow this by the like a 30 day of gratitude type of um, uh, type of event. So as you see, it's like not necessarily focused on cybersecurity. It's more about women empowering and um, getting our community to be really, really strong. That's great. Well, Larissa, I think this has been a fantastic set of topics um, any, anything else that you wanted to make sure we, we cover here? No, I think we, you, you've got it all. Um, I want to be respectful of every, everybody's time and your time. Um, just, uh, one more plug for csacolorado.org slash lift, and you'll find a lot of great information about what lift is doing, what events we have planning. And, uh, again, one more call to action to anybody who wants to be a mentor or mentee for, uh, for our, uh, community. I love it. Um, all right. Well, that is it for the interview here, Larissa. Thank you so much for telling us about your, your own story, your own journey. Um, I mean, obviously it's super inspiring and interesting to me, uh, the way you've, you've, uh, you know, really risen super high in, in a career without, you know, not knowing where it was going to start. Um, Appreciate it. And we look forward to, you know, obviously I look forward to getting dinner with you again sometime soon, uh, uh, but yeah. meantime, hopefully folks will run into you at the, at the lift meetings. Absolutely. Rob, thank you so much for having me. And uh, um, I had a blast. Awesome. Well, this is it for this month's uh, episode of Colorado Equal Security. Tune in again next month. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.